This episode is brought to you by ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company building a more fact-driven world with consumer-grade search and AI-driven analytics. Build stickier product experiences by embedding ThoughtSpot Everywhere's interactive analytics interface directly into your data app or product. No more delayed release cycles or incremental UX improvements. ThoughtSpot Everywhere's developer-friendly platform replaces static dashboards with an interactive data experience in minutes, allowing users to intuitively dig into their data and trigger actions in their favorite business apps. Learn more and try ThoughtSpot for free today by visiting thoughtspot.com slash everywhere. Hey, everyone, and welcome to For the Love of Product, brought to you by the Product-Led Alliance. I'll be your host, Tiama Hanson-Drury, Chief Product Officer at Mina Technologies and all-around passionate product aficionado. Each episode, we'll be looking at the head and the heart behind product-led growth, the passion and the practice of product, and we'll be picking the brains of seasoned CPOs and heads of products, as well as visionary founders and investors getting their inside stories. Enjoy! Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Product. I am really pleased to have Apurva Garwar joining us today. And Apurva, before I give your background, where are you Zooming in from? Hi, Tiyama. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm zooming in from Palo Alto, California. Nice, nice. I hope it's sunshiny there today in classic California uh, weather. Is that true? I know California conjures up images of like sunshine and beaches, but today it's actually pretty gray and rainy. So uh, looking forward to seeing the sun soon. You're bursting our you're bursting all of our dreams, especially here I know, in right? London. <laughs> Reality check. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who don't know Aperva's name, um, Aperva is the VP of product and the general manager at Upwork. Um, Upwork is the world's largest work marketplace, and we're going to dive into what that is. Um, but we're also going to hear about her career. So over 15 years, she's built products and teams within large tech companies like Amazon and Microsoft, but she's also worked at earlier stage companies like Quora and Medium. Um, in her current role, she has a very exciting task ahead of her, and that's scaling the world's work marketplace as the world enters another year of online remote first work. So Aparva, thank you for joining us today. What made you excited to come on the pod? Uh, well, you were a large part of it, Diyama. Uh, no, honestly, though, <laughs> uh, I've been uh, working with the Product-Led Alliance for a couple of years now, and um, there's just so much energy and interest in product management. Um, I worked with Heather in the past as well, and uh, I thought this would be a lovely opportunity to come in and uh, share some of my stories and uh, hopefully, you know, um, have your listeners uh, walk away with a thing or two about product. Oh, I'm certain of it. And that's really kind of you. I'm glad that you you are willing to come on. I mean, I think one of the things that I'm excited to tackle today in our discussion is you, like many of us, like everyone actually, has gone through kind of your own experience with the pandemic. And what I find very interesting about yours is that you were working, you know, prior to the pandemic with a company that when the pandemic hit, your demand surged big time. So that's at Chegg, right? And maybe you can give us a little bit of uh, background on this in case anyone doesn't know what Chegg is. But by all accounts and by all measures of success, Chegg was surging in 2020, right? Because there was such demand for online learning. Um, and that's a very good place for a product professional to be, especially someone like you with your track record and the huge names of you know different brands that you've worked at. But the pandemic didn't uh, 
well, in my mind, it didn't take you in the direction that maybe might have seemed most obvious for you at Chegg. It took you in a very different direction. And I'd love you to open up by talking about that for our, for our listeners. Yeah, you know, thank you. And, uh, you know, I'll start by saying I had an amazing time at Chegg and I'm very indebted to the leadership there for um, the opportunities they gave me to impact the company's trajectory. Uh, let's rewind to Jan of 2020. Uh, you know, we were all at the start of the pandemic and the pandemic touched each of our lives in unimaginable ways. Um, for us personally, it was we are a family of three, my husband, myself, and uh, our only daughter then, four and a half years old. And we were all holed up indoor. Uh, I had converted my uh, tiny bedroom into a makeshift office. My husband was working from a six by 10 little room on the other end of the house, uh, attending meetings back to back. And here we had our four and a half year old trying to take kindergarten virtual classes for the first time in her life, trying to pull out Play-Doh and worksheets and crayons. And to the teacher's credit, you know, they were trying their best to meet us halfway and, and do everything they could, but everyone was figuring this out. Um, and by the time the day ended, more often than not, you know, my little one had managed to do nothing, uh, you know, with, with any of her work materials. Uh, my husband and I are both immigrants, so we had no family support in the area. Our parents were in India, our aging parents, which came with its own challenges through COVID. And at the end of the day, we were so exhausted that I just felt I couldn't do it anymore. Um, after this, I was pregnant and the California wildfires were raging. So we couldn't even step out for fresh air. And, and look, this is our story. We had our jobs. We had our health. We were privileged. You know, I feel we were among the lucky few. But when you look at the stories of millions if not billions of households across the world that went through something similar through the pandemic, um, it really shone a light on what, what has gotten us this far won't get us there anymore. And um, that was a turning point, a U-turn in my life. So what was, I mean, I can understand how that was really causing you to take a step back. How did that drive your decision about leaving yeah. Chegg and, and moving on to a new opportunity? Because I could see parallels in both. I could see Chegg being an interesting way with that acceleration of online learning and such. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the more people I spoke to, friends, family, co-workers, it became pretty clear this was a universal problem. People across the world were taking the pandemic pause to reflect on their lives, on their priorities, what drove them joy, uh, you know, innovating with their careers. And uh, that translated over the, over the months to come in work innovation. People were quitting their jobs uh, or finding ways to supplement their income uh, or branching off and doing their own uh, freelancing or their, free, uh, their own businesses. Um, and this was becoming a trend that uh, was being embraced more broadly. Uh, you know, a funny story that I still recollect is my uh, now five, six-year-old coming to me and saying, Mama, I want to be a chef, a painter, and a doctor. And a previous me would have said, wait, you you got to focus, you know, you got to pick one and go after it. But then I found myself thinking, this is life for all of us. People are choosing to work from where they want. They're choosing to do the work that gives them joy. They're choosing to pursue roles that uh, are really aligned with what they want. Um, and on the demand side of things, workplaces uh, are struggling to keep up. 
you know, the great resignation is here. And um, in order to keep pace, they got to innovate with how they pick the right work models for them. Um, and so that's why we are seeing this tectonic shift in people choosing their dreams and pursuing their dreams and um, companies and employers across the world needing to adapt to, to this tectonic shift. And that is the opportunity that Upwork is in the middle of solving for. And, um, you know, this role really came to me and, and it spoke to me and it resonated with me. So it's it's my immense honor and privilege to be here and really be part of the team that's shaping the future of work at Upwork. Amazing. I think that everybody listening to this can really relate to that term you said, the pandemic pause, right? Um, by forced, uh, by forced in certain nature to have that time alone to reflect and think about what's most meaningful. So tell me a little bit about Upwork. You know, what are you, what are you guys working on today? What is the, the reason for its existence? Um, let's go deeper than, you know, the tagline. Yeah, at its very core, Upwork is a marketplace. And the two sides of the marketplace are employers, um, small businesses, large businesses, um, entrepreneurs um, who are looking to solve a business problem. Uh, you could have a problem around, uh, you know, let's say you wanted to build an app, you, you wanted a marketing strategy, you wanted to get an accounting project done. You have a core business need. Typically, our clients or customers also uh, are coming to Upwork because they don't have um, employees to fulfill their need uh, as of right now. On the other side of the marketplace, you have um, talent workers, people across the world who have these skills to offer. And uh, they create their profiles, they create their portfolio, and um, they have they could charge by the hour or you know, on a project basis, uh, on a case-by-case -case basis. And so what Upwork really creates is this marketplace that matches the two. So as a client, you say like, hey, this is what I need to get done. Here's a time frame I'm thinking about. Here's what my budget looks like. Let me post a job. Um, or even if I didn't post a job, like find some way to articulate what you're looking for. Uh, and then you either search or you get matched with um, profiles of freelancers who are a good match for you, uh, you know, who are who also would want to sub submit a proposal that uh, speaks to their quality of work. And then you as a client could go in and pick what, um, you know, what uh, works for your business needs. In some cases, you may also choose to work off a template, um, which is not really a customized person on the other side, but you're working with a template or a project that already was pre-created. And then you work with a talent worker to customize it to your needs. Uh, you could also hire someone, um, uh, what we call a talent scout, uh, and have them be a part of your journey to find the right person. That sounds really exciting. I can see why this would appeal to you uh, going through the process that you mentioned you were doing during the pandemic. Was it that linear? Was it that you kind of saw yourself and your husband and the people you care about reevaluating their priorities and innovating that drove you to come to Upwork? Or, you know, how did how did that matching occur? Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, I'd say, a match made in heaven. Uh, but looking back, um, I think it was just, um, you know, good timing, uh, where I was uh, very open to being convinced of uh, a change and of a change that resonated with the needs of a post-pandemic world. And the business was looking to scale up its product leadership team. And, uh, you know, it, it just felt like a really strong fit. 
especially given the leadership team that's in place there. A lot of people that I deeply respect and have a lot to learn from. Now, we know that Upwork is known for having a really large addressable market, but I want to know what does that mean for you from a product perspective? You guys are going after solving some really meaty problems, some really big opportunities. What is it that is most motivating to you? What was it that said, this is the role for you, right? In that pandemic moment, you know, that pandemic pause, this is the opportunity that you want to spend your limited time and energy focusing on. Uh, you know, I think it is really all of what we touched on, which is the, the fact that we are in the midst of this tectonic shift and the way that work has been done to this point is not the way that it's going to be done in the future. Um, employers are embracing new ways of working. They're open to remote talent. They're open to people working from different parts of the world. They're opening to uh, new ways of engaging and interviewing and evaluating the capabilities of the people they work with. They're more open to building teams that are diverse uh, and full of talent talent that's uh, coming from really any part of the world. Uh, and I think that's the opportunity at the core of it that uh, I'm really excited to solve with the team, which is being able to anticipate the needs of employers because um, work has changed too. You know, work as we've known it has changed. And uh, tech, if anything, has seen acceleration with the pandemic being a catalyst, there's so many opportunities and people are innovating in every aspect of life uh, and enterprise. Um, and so in order to keep up with that surge in innovation, you need people, you need smart people. And there are those people, they're just everywhere and uh, across the world and they want to embrace flexibility and they want to work for employers that uh, respect that. Uh, and I think that's this opportunity that's been created, which, uh, you know, we don't have all the answers, but we are in the process of figuring out, which is how do we create these innovative work models that uh, match the demand and the supply? I love it. What's your, what's your kind of guiding, um, North Star for what you want to achieve uh, uh, um, in this current role. I'm curious because you've got such an interesting background and you've worked in such a multitude of interesting companies. I'm curious, like, what do you think of as being your North Star for being successful in your current role? You know, uh, Tiama, what's really driven me joy through my career is building bridges and building connections. And so um, as I made my transition into product, I pretty intentionally chose out roles that were creating marketplaces, uh, you know, marketplaces of people seeking um, products and services and marketplaces that offered them. Uh, marketplaces where people had questions and then experts that answered those questions. And I think in this role, uh, it's marketplaces that uh, match a demand for um, quality skills and uh, people that have those to offer and those people maybe uh, you know, anywhere in the world uh, picking lifestyles that really speak to them. Um, and so for me, the North Star, uh, you know, in, in any role for that matter, is really creating a product that solves a real problem. And the more that problem is ensconced in the reality of today, in the context of today, um, the more exciting it is for me personally. And, and, you know, at different points, it's been different things. So online learning a few years back was and still is revolutionizing the way students across the world have access to learning. And, uh, you know, that, that the work that we've done in, as, a, as a community in bridging the gap between access and interest 
um, has really created opportunities for students across the world. And likewise, today with the, the work um, we're doing on the work marketplace, we're creating opportunities for people across the world that they wouldn't have had access to otherwise. You have working mothers who can now supplement their income and pursue their passion while their kids are away at school. Uh, you know, you have uh, designers and graphic um, artists who are able to give vent to their creativity while uh, you know, doing a side hustle. And, and I think it's that opportunity we've created, which really speaks to the North Star and after. Yeah, I'm not surprised you say marketplaces is kind of your, uh, your North Star, because if you do look at your career, you have been building these marketplaces um, each time and time again. What, what has changed about your approach to how you look at matching that problem with a supply uh, of a solution for that over time? Like, what have you learned, you know, along the way that it would change the way you're going to approach it today versus back in the beginning when you were at Amazon, for example, working with music? Yeah, you know, uh, I've got to say I've been incredibly uh, fortunate to have uh, some amazing mentors and um, to have, uh, you know, made an impact in really strong companies where I learned a lot personally, uh, as much as had an impact on the business. Um, so if I were to ground it in a few core learnings, looking back, uh, I'd say the first is, this is important in any career path, but particularly as a product professional, really being able to find the problem that excites you, that resonates with you. Uh, because it's when you find that energy from within that you can uh, come back with hypotheses that are set up for success, with ideas and creativity that can unlock uh, opportunities and solutions. Uh, so really finding that problem that resonates with you as a product professional and then intentionally uh, finding a way to uh, you know, find the rules that let you uh, solve for that problem. Um, the other is really leaning in with a learning mindset. And I mean this in the broadest way possible. Um, you know, it's when you come in with a goal of learning that you are humble and honest with yourself uh, about what you know and what you don't. And I found that when I am vulnerable, whether it is in having a conversation and diffusing a conflict, or whether it is in exploring a zero to one opportunity, it's when I come in with the goal of learning, with a willingness to fail, with a willingness to know that I could be wrong, that I ask the right questions, that I probe, uh, that I dive deep enough that uh, you know, I feel confident in, in the first steps that we are putting forward. And uh, that really, to take a step back, I feel like is has been a core learning in my career, which is um, earlier in my career, I probably have jumped in with solutions, jumped in with ideas that really sounded sexy and like that I was uh, excited to solve um, with. Uh, but as over time, I've realized that taking the time to learn and internalize and ask the right questions up front can really shape the quality of the product that you uh, launch with. Um, and third, you know, this, uh, this may seem intuitive, but um, the importance of human connection. Um, you know, looking back at my career, some of the most pivotal moments in my career were ones where I wasn't alone. I was able to reach out to managers and mentors that I respected and that I was still in touch with. And they gave me the best advice um, of some of the best advice I've heard in my life and that really uh, shaped the best decisions I've made. Um, and I couldn't have had that if uh, I hadn't kept 
the relationship up and invested time in it and vice versa, given back, uh, you know, when I was uh, made an ask or someone reached out to the request of me. Uh, so really the importance of like uh, nurturing relationships with people you admire and respect and you've worked with. Because at the end of the day, when we look back, what we carry forth are memories of our times together, of navigating tough problems, of, uh, you know, launching strong products, of delighting customers. And those memories really make us who we are. I love that. I think it's it's one of the biggest challenges that product professionals have, right, is creating the space through which to have those check-ins with trusted mentors, to do that foundational research and have the learning mindset. Um, so often, I think, you know, people do get pushed to just launch, just ship, right, just get features released. And having seen you with a long career of understanding why it's important to take a step back, to nurture those relationships so that when you need to take a step back, you can either seek advice, you can collect more information to do product discovery in a, you know, still agile, but data-driven way. What have been the things that have made it easiest for you to create that process for yourself and stay accountable to it um, when the quote unquote stakeholders are pressing you to get stuff live faster, to just release something sooner? How do you how do you keep yourself kind of committed to the process, if you will? Yeah, that's a great question. And it maybe it goes back to what we discussed around relationships and you know. Because when you are managing relationships, it's not just your personal ones. It's also the ones that you are managing on behalf of your team. Um, And especially in larger organizations, uh, we hear this a lot, which is the importance of communication and expectation setting and transparency and openness. Um, And an organization that's built on a culture of open and honest conversations will also make it easier for you as a product professional to say, hey, I don't know. I don't have all the answers to these questions, but we can all agree that these are the most important questions to answer before we move forward. So let me take the time to come back to you. Give me a week or give me you know, five days or three days and let me come back to you with these answers and then we can have this debate or open this discussion again. Um, I think that is what has really... Um, made it pave that path forward to make the space, to create the space for research and thoughtfulness. Um, and, And it goes back to organizational values and culture, which is such an important factor when you're seeking out a role for yourself and knowing that there's a resonance there. Um, you know, to give you an example, uh, when I got my first job at Amazon, um, I uh, was working on digital media products within the context of search and discovery. And uh, my manager at the time, my first task was actually to go and look at customer feedback coming in from book lovers, uh, readers of books who, for any reason, didn't have a great experience and were writing in to tell us what could be improved. And as we looked through this uh, feedback, it became very clear that the number one problem for us to solve was uh, books in a series. People were looking for Harry Potter books or books in Lord of the Rings or uh, you know various trilogies. Um, And when they looked, uh, they got book seven, book one, a bundle of books. And what they were looking for was a simple, clean list of books one through eight in the Harry Potter series. Here's the last book you read. Here's the next one you need to read. And they weren't able to find that anywhere. They went to Google, did their research. But by the time they did that, they were lost. 
um, and we didn't get them back. And, um, you know, from, from that research, it became clear there was a problem. Now, we didn't have a solution, but sharing that ahead of time and saying like, look, we have a problem here. Let's take the time to come up with a solution, but this is clearly an opportunity. Um, and, and I did that with my partners across various teams. And when we dug in, we realized that to validate our hypothesis on the clean and uh, clear list of eight, we could just run a quick painted door. We could, you know, pivot those users over to a simple page that said, okay, you look for Harry Potter books, here are the eight. Uh, and we, we did that. We ran a painted door for a handful of queries that would give us enough data for statistic results. And we found like percentage point movement in, um, you know, conversion rates on that experiment. Um, and that was a, a great indication of the potential this experience had. Uh, and we took that data back and then created the space for uh, building the right solution, got the right resourcing, and then could go and build it out at scale. Uh, but to come back to your question, uh, you know, that's the kind of culture organizations need to create. Um, cultures of uh, research, of being centered in customer problems, uh, but also giving teams the space to research and to think through, um, you know, what the solution can be and picking the best one. Great examples. And I think that's one of the things that is most useful in helping people understand the value of taking that time to understand the, the research context and to do the data gathering to understand what problem is most important to solve is one of the best ways to kind of incentivize people that it's worth taking that time. Have you ever had any instances where you just weren't given the ability to do that and you guys learned hard lessons because of it? Or have you have you been culturally in the right uh, companies that supported you needing to kind of follow the process? Yeah, I call it a stroke of luck or just good fortune, but I've been... Uh... I've always been surrounded by leaders who were able to create that space. And, and when, you know, like we've all been in tough situations and tough corners. So it's also like, you also need to be able to, as a product leader, understand, you know, when it's peacetime and when it's wartime. And, uh, you know, it's easier to make a case for space and innovation when it's peacetime, but uh, not so easy when it's wartime. And that's a judgment call that only you could make. I love it. That sounds great. So, you know, knowing a bit about your history, knowing kind of some of the themes that have been there, um, talk to us about how you got into product management. What, where did that come from? Was that something that you knew early on was of interest or? Uh, I wish, you know, I wish, uh, but again, very grateful for every experience I've had. Um, so my story uh, begins in Mumbai. I was born and raised in Mumbai. Um, I think of um, my mom and dad as the yin and yang. Uh, my dad was an architect. He's an architect. And uh, he was very much the bold risk taker, someone who would charge forth with his vision. Um, we, we were a middle class family, so not uh, much in terms of financial means. But even then, uh, with two kids under the age of five, he jumped out of a corporate job and set up his own little company to do his architecture practice and, and grew that over the years. Um, so that was my dad. My mom um, led a nonprofit organization for disabled youth with uh, special needs. And uh, she led with compassion and kindness. Uh, even today, when you speak to her ex-colleagues and her students, uh, they talk about how wonderful a person she was and how she touched their lives. And I think that balance uh, that each of those uh, perspectives provided 
gave uh, me strong values to uh, that I could come back and dip into anytime I was navigating a crisis in life. Uh, but more importantly, it instilled the importance of education and the importance of really doing what gives you joy. Um, and that's been a constant theme as I've gone through my career. So I studied computer science in college. Um, you know, we lived in a 500 square foot. There were six of us, my parents, my grandparents. Uh, we lived in a 500 square foot little apartment in Mumbai. Uh, and I did most of my college uh, in a little balcony that was like uh, six by 10 feet um, where my dad had built a study desk and a study lamp for me. Um, and oftentimes I could hear like rats cutting in the background. Uh, and I actually turned up my headphone volume to drown out the noise. So to date, my fear of rats outweighs the fear of anything else. Um, but it was through those experiences that, uh, you know, I picked computer science and loved problem solving. And, and after college, I moved stateside to pursue my grad school at CMU in Pittsburgh and then uh, got my first job out of college at Microsoft as a software engineer and spent my first few years really working on uh, building backend distributed systems on Bing, on Windows Azure. Um, and then a few years into my early computer science career, I asked myself if what I was doing was helping me learn, and the answer was yes. Uh, was it giving me joy? And the answer was no. Um, and the reason was, like I mentioned at the start of our podcast, um, I find joy in making connections. And there was something about coding at my desk for long hours in um, a, a, you know, a little room that wasn't giving me joy. I wanted to be out there talking to users, talking to partners and to people. And that's what uh, led me to discover product management. So that's how I moved into it and transitioned. And it's been 10 years since. And um, it's just been one uh, you know, new opportunity after another. And there's been no looking back. I love that. I mean, it sounds like that guiding question has really played a very pivotal role in your evolution, both you know, at work, but also outside of work, right? Is this bringing absolutely. me joy, right? Yeah. That's okay. absolutely Yeah. So I think, I mean, one of the things that I would be interested in is going back to that 10 years ago, right? Uh, you, you've made this decision to say, yes, I'm going to move on from uh, the exciting work that you were doing at Microsoft into your first product role. What has changed about your definition of your responsibility as a product leader from then to now? I mean, how much of that is the same? How much of that has really evolved? Talk to us about your journey there. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, started my product career very much uh, as an individual contributor working on um, customer-centric products. So I've always been a B2C product leader with aspects of my work that expanded to enterprise. Um, and uh, the, the early years, I'd say, was really understanding how product is done right and surrounding myself with product leaders that I could learn from that uh, you know, were gracious to mentor me. Uh, and those were the first few years of my career. From there, I transitioned into a people management role um, where I was leading a small team of product uh, managers. Uh, and the desire to, came, to lead really came from the desire to give back in some ways, um, to be able to like coach and, and share best practices and share learnings and cultivate uh, you know, product people um, who could, uh, you know, benefit in some ways from the learnings I'd had, but also help me learn um, with their ideas. And over time, I, I just found that balance of building products and um, leading teams 
so exciting that I've just continued to double down on that scope. Um, so I went from leading a small team to leading larger team um, of product managers and managers of managers. Uh, in uh, my latest role, uh, I'm also overseeing the PNL for our business line. And so now it's an expanded role of product leadership alongside um, business accountability as well. Uh, so that's my current role. And I think over the past 10 years or so, that the, the evolution that's come in my role is really a, a function of the learning I've had on building products, on leading teams, on building teams. Um, but also on building a successful business and being able to know when you hit that product market fit, when is the right time to grow and scale so you can match it with the right people and the right uh, strategy. Any advice for people moving into uh, their next kind of stage in the product leadership career uh, journey that you would you would come to mind immediately? You know, I think product leaders in particular have um, a really interesting role in the organization where you're leading a team of people uh, that cares as much about the big picture and strategy as they possibly do about execution. Um, and when you're leading a team of people that wants to have a say and wants to be able to shape strategy as much as you do, um, it's, it's really important to be able to um, sort of keep the team focused on the horizon and have their hands on the steering, but also create the space for them to learn and to make decisions and own those decisions. And I think that's, um, that's probably uh, been the, the most important learning for me as a product leader, which is knowing when I actually add value by stepping in and knowing that I provide the most value when I step out and coach uh, and, and you know, provide context and perspective and um, learning behind the scenes. Um, and I, so I think for people that are stepping into product leadership, it's, it's that balance of like going from really owning your product. Like that's what you hear when you're a product manager in charge of a particular area, you own your product, you own the metrics, you own the vision, you own the strategy, you own the execution. And then you move into product leadership, it's less of that ownership. It's more of setting the vision, giving the context and the perspective, and then actually stepping out trusting your teams to do their job and giving them the resources um, and the opportunities to learn on their own. Uh, and I think that was, uh, that was the, the most interesting learning for me on this job. I think it's really well said and probably one of the most difficult things for many people because often you rise through the ranks from a leadership perspective because you're effective at, you know, being an individual contributor. Um, and it's one of the things that I think a lot of new product leaders find kind of difficult, quite frankly, because they can't say specifically what is it that they are doing um, to deliver value. But as you said, sometimes the thing they're doing is is really heavy in the beginning, right? Setting that context and that vision and then stepping back. Um, did you see people that you respected doing that? Uh, and is that how you kind of came to understand that that was something you wanted to emulate? Where, where did that become part of your mantra? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the managers and mentors that I highly respect are people who have given me the space to do my work and uh, who have led through example. Uh, and I think that's what 
instilled in me the importance of first taking the time to build a team that you trust, a high caliber team that raises the bar, you know, people who have come in with a learning mindset who want to take feedback in the right stride. Uh, it takes a lot of work as a leader to actually build the right team. But once you have the right people in place, uh, giving them the space to, to prove themselves and of course, supplementing that with ongoing feedback and, and course correcting and being open about feedback in more directions. Uh, but yeah, to, to answer your question, like some of my uh, role models and mentors are, are people who emulate those values. It's, um, I want to go back to something you said earlier, because it kind of relates to this. You said, you know, your parents in some way were the yin and the yang. And even now, I think there's a bit of that yin and the yang of giving them enough guidance, giving them enough a structure on the vision and where you want to go, but also giving them enough freedom to be able to explore and deliver the outcomes that drive business value. Um, one of the things that we often talk about with people who join the podcast is, you know, what is the identification for them of both the head versus the heart of product, right? There is the passion and the practice. And I would be particularly interested to hear from your perspective, which you identify with more, because you seem to be very comfortable with the concept of dualities and how you have to leverage those uh, to build high, highly productive teams, but also uh, highly effective products as well. So what do you see as being your own kind of stronger identification with those? I love that question. And I'll be honest, uh, there isn't a straight answer I could give you. Uh, it, it so depends on uh, the situation you're in, the need of the hour. Uh, you know, when I uh, worked at Medium, um, I was very fortunate to work with Ed Williams, who, um, who's the CEO of the company and, and a true visionary. And this was in 2016, 2017, you know, um, there, was a, there was a lot of focus on media outlets and products, putting the right impetus on quality. And, uh, with Ev's vision, of course, like the team executed on like a world-class uh, discovery experience for stories where we could stand behind the quality of every story that any reader read on Medium. Um, and there wasn't a lot of time or data or space to A-B test. You know, a lot of the decisions we made were led by instinct and gut and what we thought were in line with our values. Uh, and it was the need of the hour and we did it. And, and you know, we, we were proud of the work we did. And I look back at, at that being one of the best XP product experiences of my career. Um, and then you have times when you're working in a public company and, you know, you need to keep in mind um, revenue accountability and business targets. And like uh, there is less room for innovation and, and more, uh, you know, of an appetite to really go in. Uh, incrementally optimize uh, parts of the product. And you got to embrace that too as a product leader and you got to understand the context and the reasons why and provide that to your team, uh, but also be able to guide them on what is what is a strategy that will give us the most bang for our buck or produce the highest ROI. Um, and you need to, in both situations, whether it's the head or the heart, you need to do so in a way that uh, brings out the best in your teams. Like, you know, one of the books that's really resonated with me is Radical Candor, uh, which speaks to the, uh, to the notion that like, if you, if you truly care about the people uh, that work for you, uh, you need to be comfortable giving them candid feedback, uh, both at good times and, and not so good times. And so uh, what really, I think to come back to your question, um, in my experience, whether it's the yin or the yang, the head or the heart, 
if you want superior outcomes, you've need, you need to build teams that understand the why, that have a full perspective on the problem they're solving and why it's important to solve, and then empower them on the solutions, give them the resources to succeed, set them up to succeed. Um, and I think that's that really speaks to me as a leader, which is being able to adapt to these different situations depending on what the industries, um, what's going on in the industry or what the need for the company is, but do so with core values that um, poise your team up for success. Fantastic. So knowing and having a, a good sense for your approach to leadership and what makes work meaningful, what are you most excited about next in your leadership journey? What, what are you really thinking about in terms of um, pushing yourself? And the next time you ask that question, you know, is this really bringing you joy? Uh, is this current uh, scenario helping me learn, right? What what do you see as being the next evolution or the next uh, release for you, yourself personally? Yeah, I think for me personally, uh, there's so many questions and, you know, assumptions about how the next few years are gonna look like for the world. Uh, there's people and companies that believe that it'll all go back to normal in a year or two, you still have Google's investing billions in campuses in the Bay Area, right? Um, and then there are people, and I'm more in that camp, who believe that life has changed permanently. You know, we've all gotten a glimpse into how we can walk in to see the baby's first steps and then walk out into a meeting, you know, to talk about your three-year plans. Uh, and we're not going to trade that for anything else. Um, we want that. And, and so does the world. Everyone across the world wants that. And the employers that recognize that and respect that and create the space for their um, employees and their talent to do their best work with that flexibility are the ones that are really set up for long-term thriving success. And I think that's what I'm the most excited about over the next, as the next learning in my career, which is to just understand how this is all going to play out, but also to be able to shape it. Um, and, and the work that we're doing at Upwork puts us in a situation where we can shape it, uh, where we can influence and create a more level playing field for uh, talent workers across the world. Um, I think that's what I'm really excited about, both being able to understand it, but also be able to shape that um, trend. Yeah, I was going to say, you couldn't be in a better position in terms of the company that you're at for being able to shape that, right? Truly fortunate, yes. So uh, I, I saved this question for the end of our recordings always, and um, it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts. So uh, imagine a world where we have a museum dedicated to the world's most important products. Um, and those are products that are important either because they were so successful or because they made a significant impact that you think uh, is worth recognizing. What would you say should be in that museum and why? It can be Upwork if that's the product that you want <laughs> as well. <laughs> uh, so my answers are going to be a bit biased because I am a working parent and I have a, uh, my younger is under a year old. So, you know, um, a lot of the problems I experience on my day-to-day -day are just the challenges of navigating, not just work and family, but also like life where two minutes of silence is a luxury. Uh, so for all working parents out there with little kids that are trying to be successful on both fronts, um, 
some of the core problems are one, staying in tune with what's going on across the world. Uh, you know, making the time to be informed on really any topic, whether it's news, current affairs, tech developments, really anything, but staying on top of it and, and feeling like you're um, not really left behind. Um, I'm number one on the list of products that solves that problem is Clubhouse for me. Uh, you know, I've been able to tune into Clubhouse sessions while nursing my baby or pumping or, uh, you know, taking my evening walks and, and learning so much about really any topic under the sun, whether it's entrepreneurship or products or uh, cryptocurrency. Um, so I, I love Clubhouse. I'm an early adopter and I've been using it uh, steadily. Um, another one that really resonates with uh, me, and again, these are all marketplace products with, uh, you know, consumer appeal, um, is uh, Thumbtack. Um, there are innumerable uh, household chores these days, especially with the pandemic and all of us sitting and looking at the four walls of our homes. Um, and it's made it so easy to go hire people that are trusted um, and, uh, you know, just be able to get things done. Um, with with quality uh, workers um yeah and did i have three or two or <laughs> one you get more. one more <laughs> if you have oh, one otherwise those first two are really good well the third one is is a bit of a toss-up between out school and uh urban sitter uh out school is uh my go-to when my older kid who's six has no school and we don't have childcare. Like she's learned chess, she's learned art, she's learned multiplication. She's actually ahead of her class on, on math and language because of our school, uh, you know? And, and so I, I've, I'm immensely grateful for um, the opportunities it's provided for kids to keep learning even when not in school. Uh, and then Urban Sitter where, you know, I've been able to hire uh, childcare on the fly, literally like if I need someone tonight, I can hire someone that's trusted and vetted. Um, and they made it so easy to, uh, for working parents like me. So again, like caveating all three examples, uh, <laughs> I'm very biased to the problems my family is currently navigating, but uh, these three I couldn't live without. Yeah, but they also speak to the power of marketplaces, right? And the ability to match that. So it's funny you say Thumbtack because they don't have it in London and I've been missing it quite a bit myself. So (laughs) I understand the value of that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and telling us about your philosophy, your experience. I think it's been very inspirational. We're so happy to have your your, um, experience to share with our listeners. Thank you so much, Tiyama. I really appreciate the time you took and uh, my pleasure being here today. I had a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Be sure to share the word of product-led growth far and wide and let your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, and anyone you think who would like to know that there's a kick-ass product podcast on offer from the Product-Led Alliance. If you haven't already, don't forget to sign up to the Slack community and check out all our other great content, upcoming events, and other ways to get involved at productledalliance.com. And let's come back again next time to talk more about the head, the heart of product.